We have a good number present this evening. We appreciate the presence of everyone. Encourage you to be getting a Bible and turning to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. As you're turning there, I want to take just a moment to again express my appreciation to the elders here and to the church for the invitation to come back and be with you again. So you're in 2017, and I don't remember the previous date to that. I was in the old building years ago. But it's good to be with you again this week, and I appreciate so much the invitation. You have listened so patiently, and your comments have been so kind about the lessons, and I appreciate that so much. And Joan and I both appreciate the hospitality of you having us into your homes for meals, and we know that time and expense goes into that. One of the pleasures of being in gospel meetings is the opportunity to spend some time with fellow gospel preachers, and it's been a pleasure to spend some time with the Buntings and the Pings this week and appreciate the work that they do and the stand they take for the truth, and it's been a pleasure to be associated with them and to spend some time with them. There are certain meetings that you have that there is something particular about that meeting, maybe where you are, where you're going or someone in the congregation that makes it special. Obviously, when your daughter and her family are members there, that makes it for a special meeting. And we appreciate the kind things you've had to say to us about our family, about our daughter and son-in-law and our grandkids. And if you noticed, I'm sitting up here with grandkids, and Joan is sitting with grandkids. We're not sitting together when we can sit with grandkids. So that's a real pleasure. We've had someone here every night this week from El Bethel, where I preach in Shovel. And I appreciate the fact they've taken time to come when they hear me all the time. Lord willing, I begin another gospel meeting Sunday morning in Caneyville, Kentucky, and I encourage you to pray for those efforts there that good may be accomplished. Let's direct our attention to Mark chapter 10. I want us to begin reading the story that picks up at verse 46. You might put a marker or a finger here because we'll keep coming back to this context. This will be the basis for our study. Now they came to Jericho, and as he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great multitude, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out, saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then many warned him to be quiet. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. Then they called the blind man, saying to him, Be of good cheer, rise, he is calling you. And throwing aside his garment, he arose and came to Jesus. So Jesus answered and said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabboni, that I might receive my sight. Then Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. This is the story of the healing of a blind beggar who was healed of his blindness by Jesus. There are parallel accounts found in Matthew chapter 20. And also Luke chapter 18, and we'll reference those only as they enhance our understanding of Mark's account of this. One of the questions as you begin to read those three accounts that immediately comes to mind is how many blind men were there? 
Because Matthew mentions two and Luke only identifies one and Mark talks about one and identifies him as the man named Bartimaeus. These are parallel accounts. They must be the same account and so there must be two men. So how do you harmonize that? Well, it seems to be maybe, possibly, that Bartimaeus may have been more well-known than the other and thus would have overshadowed him. And that was the focal point then of two other accounts where Matthew mentions there being two. But one of the other differences in the accounts as we began to try to harmonize them is there is a difference as to when this miracle took place. And that is coming in or going out of the city of Jericho. Matthew says in verse 29 that it was as they departed from Jericho. But Luke says it's when they came near Jericho. Sounds like something opposite, doesn't it? And as you read Mark's account, Mark suggests that it was both coming to and going from Jericho. They came to Jericho and they went from Jericho. So which was that? Well, Linsky makes an attempt to harmonize all of that, saying this, that Jesus passed through Jericho, Luke 19, 1, and although it was late in the day, no one had invited him to spend the night with them. On the other side of the town, Zacchaeus awaits Jesus, who calls him to come down from the tree, who retraces his steps and goes back into Jericho and spends the night at the publican's home. It was on this return that the blind men were healed. Well, I don't know if that's exactly right or not, but that makes good sense to me. The one account says it was when he's coming into Jericho, and another says when he was going out from Jericho, that he very well may have come to Jericho and gone out and then retraced his way back in. So it was on his outward bound journey of Jericho, but coming back into the city for the night that perhaps the miracle takes place. How on earth did the blind man know it was Jesus that was coming? Because after all, he's blind and he's sitting by the road, according to verse 46 of our text. How did he know it was Jesus? Well, in Luke's account, the noise of the multitude raised his curiosity and he asked what all the noise was about. And they identified it to him as being, this is Jesus. And that's when he began to cry out with an earnest cry. That is, son of David, have mercy on me. And began to get the attention of those that were gathered around. So tonight, let's talk about the earnest cry of Bartimaeus. The earnest cry of Bartimaeus. Now, as a subtitle to that, I simply call this, How to Break Out of a Rut. Because here was a man who broke out of a rut. How so? Well, Bartimaeus, his rut was, he was, first of all, verse 46 says, he was blind, and furthermore, he was a beggar. Neither of those were desirable conditions. If he were blind, and if you were blind, you'd probably say, I'd rather not be blind. And if you were a beggar, you'd rather not be a beggar. You'd rather get out of that circumstance. So he's in a circumstance he would like to get out of, but it seems like he's in a rut. He's blind and he's begging. How does that relate to you? Well, you're probably not blind, nor are you begging, but it could be that you're in the rut of sin. Some people are in the rut of sin. They're involved in sin, and they're not sure what they should do about that. They're in the rut of sin. But for somebody else, it may not be sin. It may be fear that's got a grip on them. And they feel like they're in a rut. They're just scared to death of things concerning the world. What's going on in the world? Maybe what's going on in Europe. Maybe it's for the last two years in the pandemic. We're scared to death. 
Or maybe it's the, something else that's bothering you. It may be a marriage struggle. It may be that you have some problems within your marriage relationship. Maybe it's not as worse, uh, as bad as some people are having, but maybe you're having some struggle in your marriage, and it's not quite as good as it needs to be, and you feel like you're in a rut. Or it may be that there is a relationship problem, and I'm not talking about a romantic relationship, but maybe it's a relationship with some brother or some sister. Or maybe it's a family relationship that doesn't involve marriage, wherein there is a strain in the relationship, and you feel like you're in a rut. I don't know what to do about that. Or maybe it's something lacking in your life, your spiritual life. You find something is lacking in your spiritual life and you, you just wish you could get out of this rut. I wished I wasn't lacking as much. I feel like something's missing. Or maybe it's a spiritual weakness that you have. And you wish you could get out of this rut of this spiritual weakness that you have. And you wish you could be stronger than you are. I'm not as strong as I used to be or like I want to be. And I want to suggest to you that the very things that Bartimaeus had to do in order to get out of his rut are the very same things that you must do. How do you get out of your rut? Let's begin with this. I want to suggest to you that first of all, you must assume responsibility. That first of all, you must assume responsibility. And let's go back to our text at verse 47 and see what it is that Bartimaeus did. Verse 47 said, when he heard it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. What I want to suggest to you is that Bartimaeus took it on himself to get help from the Lord. What Bartimaeus did not do is wait for someone to act for him. He didn't sit back and think, you know what? I wish someone had hollered out and asked him to have mercy on me, but no one did. Bartimaeus took responsibility upon himself. He did not blame others for his lack of access to Jesus. Here I am sitting by the road. I'm a beggar. I'm not standing up on the side of the road where others who can see Jesus and, and I'm blaming others because they did not let me have access to Jesus. He didn't do that either. I want to tell you, he didn't sit in a pool of self-pity about being blind and being poor. But he took some action himself and he took some responsibility and he acted within himself. He assumed responsibility. And what I'm here to tell you is you need to take responsibility for your own sin and for your own mistakes. Adam and Eve were those who tried to shift the blame and didn't take responsibility. Remember when God came to Adam, that Adam's first thing was to point the finger over at Eve. It is that woman you made me. She made me to eat. And when God turns to Eve, she turns the finger and points toward the serpent. It's that serpent that beguiled me. They're shifting the blame. When someone begins to talk to you about the things you've done and how you've lived and how you've lived contrary to the will of God, do you immediately point your finger at others or do you accept the responsibility? The book of Ecclesiastes chapter 18 and verse 4, repeated again in verse 20 says, the soul that sins, it shall die. That is, you bear responsibility for yourself. Paul would write in Romans 14 and in verse 12 that each of us will give an account of himself to God. I'm not going to give a record for you, nor will you give an account for me. You'll give an account of yourself to God. And so here's what I'm learning from that. If you've done wrong, own it. If you have committed sin, admit it. Accept responsibility for what you've done. 
But furthermore, I'm learning from this, take responsibility for your own conformity to the will of God. In Acts chapter 2 and in verse 40, on the day of Pentecost, as the gospel was preached, they were told to save yourselves from this untoward generation. You have some responsibility, you take yourself. You have to act. In fact, the very next verse said, about 3,000 gladly received the word and they were baptized. You remember the Ethiopian eunuch, the treasurer, under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, that he took some responsibility to act. When he heard the preaching of Jesus, the text said, he says, he, see, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? He took some responsibility to begin to act. And what I'm here tonight to tell you is that you need to take responsibility to act rather than reason that if the situation was different, I'd be living better. You see, I can't do anything about it. I'm not going to take responsibility. It's the situation that's bad. More about that in a moment. Take some responsibility for yourself rather than wonder, what can I do about my circumstance? What can I do about this relationship problem? What can I do about this marriage problem we're having? What can I do about the, the, the fact I'm not getting along with others? What can I do about my own spiritual weakness? Take some responsibility rather than pointing to others as the cause of your failure. How do you break out of a rut? The earnest cry of Bartimaeus tells me that you assume responsibility, number one. Number two, you believe that you can change. Look at verse 40, verse 51. Let's go back to our text. If you've left that, let's go back to chapter 10 of the book of Mark and look at verse 51. Verse 51 says this. Jesus answered and said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the answer he gave was, Rabboni, that I may receive my sight. Even though this man was blind, he believed that with Jesus he could see. I believe I can see. His attitude wasn't, I, don't, I know I'll never see again. I know I'll never have my sight. But he believed that with Jesus, I'll be able to see. Rabboni, that I might see, that I might receive my sight. In contrast to that, I want to suggest to you that many today feel powerless. And they think they're stuck. They're stuck in their rut. They wish they could do better. But they're victims of circumstance and they're victims of others. I'm sure these elders here and these preachers in this congregation have had the same experience that I have had. You go to talk to someone who's not living as they should and not attending faithfully as they should, and the first thing they'll do is they'll start blaming everyone else for for their, I know I'm not doing what I should. I know I'm not attending as I should, but I'll tell you, I haven't been treated like I should by some of the other members. That's why. See, it's their fault. You see, the church hadn't shown interest in me, and that's the reason I'm still in my sin. I would do better with or not for others. It's the circumstance in the environment that I'm in. I can't change. You see, I'm stuck in this rut. I want to suggest to you, you have the power to change. And let's take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning at verse 9. You can overcome sin, whatever that sin may be. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. The Corinthians did. Those who made up the church at Corinth had come out of some very wicked sins. Notice beginning at verse 9, do you not know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Paul, what do you mean by the unrighteous? Well, I'm talking about fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, and sodomites, and thieves, and covetous, and drunkards, and revilers, and extortioners. That's what I'm talking about. 
You may be in such a sin, you say, I feel like I'm stuck. I can't get out of this sin. Are you a homosexual? Are you a thief? Are you a drunkard? Are you an idolater? Are you an adulterer? Are you a fornicator? The Corinthians overcame all of that. You can overcome your sin. You can make a drastic change. Paul did. When we're introduced to Paul, he's a man who's persecuting the church of our Lord, voicing his opinion that some should be put to death, casting them into prison. Before we get through with the story, he's a man who's preaching Jesus to be the Christ, the Son of the living God. He now believes in the resurrection of Christ. What a drastic change he made. You can change. You can overcome being raised in sin. So oh, I'll tell you what, I'm stuck. I'm, I'm in a rut. And the reason I'm in a rut, it's the parents I had. They raised me this way. And I don't feel like I can get out of this way. I want to tell you, Abraham was raised by an idolater. He broke out of the rut, didn't he? And if Abraham can overcome and Paul can overcome and the Corinthians can overcome, you can change too. You can change. Whatever sin it may be. Whatever relationship issue there may be, whatever marriage problems there may be, whatever weakness that you may have, you can change. We're talking about the earnest cry of Bartimaeus. How do you break out of your rut? First of all, you assume responsibility for yourself. And secondly, believe you can change. Thirdly, let's go back to that same verse, verse 51. Focus on your real need. Focus on your real need. Now, if you've left Mark 10, let's go back to Mark 10 and look at verse 51. Same verse again. When Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And he said, Rabboni, that I might receive my sight. I want to tell you, Bartimaeus knew the misery of blindness and poverty. But what I want to suggest to you is that those who are giving to him that as a beggar, people could give him money and relieve him of his poverty. But none of those people could give him his sight, could they? See, he was in poverty. Someone could give him money. That helps. More people could give him money. A lot of people could give him money. But not a one of them could give him his sight. His real need was giving his sight. Notice what he said. Let's connect verse 46 to 51. Verse 46 says that he was blind and he was begging. Then when Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? He didn't say, I need my sight and I need some money. He said that I might receive my sight. Isn't that interesting? He was focusing on his real need. And I want to suggest to you, if you're going to get out of your rut, you need to get focused on your real need. You see, in your case, your real need may be the forgiveness of sins. You may have a lot of things crying for your attention and crying needs that you have in your life. It may be financial needs. You may be over your head in something and you just, you just feel like you're about to sink with financial problems and I've got to see to that. And you may have health issues that need immediate attention. But I want to tell you that without forgiveness, you're going to be lost in the devil's hell. In John 18 verse 21, Jesus said that if you die in sin where I go, you cannot come. He's going to heaven. And you're not going to be able to go. Paul would say in Romans 6 and verse 23, the wages of sin is death. That death is eternal separation from God because it's in contrast to the eternal life in the very same verse. 
If you don't receive the forgiveness of sins, you're going to lose your soul. So your crying need may be the forgiveness of sins. And if someone asks you, what do you need? You better cry out, say, what I'm focused on right now is the forgiveness of my sins. But your need may be something else. It may be that you're already a child of God. You already are a Christian, or maybe you've already been restored. But your crying need of the hour is to get your priorities straight. Because multiple things are calling for your attention. And that's true of all of us. Our, our schedules are packed full. We have interest in this direction. We have interest in that direction. We have interest over here. We have people calling for attention, people calling for attention. And we're, we're divided in every direction. And the crying need of the hour may be that you need to get your priorities straight. We need to set God first and foremost in our lives. 1 Peter chapter 3 and in verse 15 said, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. There are many passages that say we are, that God sanctifies us. That is, he sets us apart and he saves us. But in this passage, we're sanctifying God. What does that mean? We set him apart in our life. It's first and foremost and top priority. You see, your crying need of the day, the crying need of the hour, may simply be that you need to get your priorities straight. Let's look at Matthew chapter 19, beginning at verse 16. We could easily fool ourselves, like the rich young ruler, into thinking we have our priorities in line. Here was a man, according to Mark's account, come running to Jesus. Shows him eagerness to know something about spiritual matters. And his question focused on eternal life. What good thing shall I do that I might inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, keep the commandments. Well, which ones? And he enumerated the commandments. Well, I've done all of that. In other words, he thinks he has his priorities in line. Well, is there anything else that I like? And Jesus said, yeah, the, go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. And he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. I want to suggest to you that the crying need of the hour may be to raise your children to walk in the fear of God. There are a lot of things, again, called for your attention. Life is pulling in all directions. Your job has you busy. Obligations in taking care of parents or taking care of other responsibilities have you pulled in all directions. God has laid up you the responsibility to train your child in the way of God. Fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. That may be the crying need of the hour, focusing on your real need. For someone else, the crying need may be to salvage their marriage. Salvage the marriage relationship. There may be other needs and demands that call for immediate attention. We've got bills to pay. We've got to go to the doctor for our health issues, whatever the case may be. But I'm telling you, if your marriage is strained, it needs all the attention you can give it. You don't need to give your marriage a divided attention, a little bit of attention, and then you, your focal point somewhere else. You need to give your marriage all the attention you can. Because when you entered into that marriage covenant relationship, you made a commitment to your God. Romans 7, beginning at verse 2, says, A woman which hath an husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he lives. And that means when you entered into that marriage relationship, not only was there the man and the woman, but there was God involved. You made a commitment to your God. How do you break out of your rut? The earnest cry of Bartimaeus reminds us that what we need to do is assume responsibility, number one. And number two, we believe we can change. And thirdly, we focus on our real need. And fourth, let's look at verse 48. 
you stop worrying about what others say. Look at verse 48 of our text. Go back to Mark 10 if you've left there and go back and look at verse 48. Verse 48, and let's get verse 47 with that. Verse 47 is where he was crying out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then many warned him to be quiet. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. You see, the blind beggar was told to quieten down. He cried out to the Lord, and then he was warned, you need to be quiet. But he ignored them. He was focused on his real need. He wants to receive his sight. In fact, he cried out even more. Go again to verse 48. He cried all the more, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And tell me to be quiet. I want to see Jesus. And I want him to have mercy on me. I don't care what you say. I'm going to cry out to Jesus. He didn't worry about what others had to say. And I want to tell you that if he had listened to those around, he would never have been healed. When they say quieten down, if he had quietened down and set off to the side and continued to beg and continued in his blindness, he would have never been healed. And there may be others in your life that tells you to be quiet. Well, that may not be exactly what they say, but they may give you the wrong advice. That was the wrong advice here. Telling a man crying out for mercy, you need to be quiet. was the wrong advice. Someone may come along and tell you that you're fine just as you are. You're not in sin. What you're doing is not sin at all. I know there's people that preach against that and they, they take passages and show it, but what you're doing really isn't sin. I never, where I grew up, didn't, didn't think it was a sin, so it's okay to do that. And someone else may tell you, well, even if it is a sin, not so, what's the big deal? And others may tell you, well, yes, it's a sin, but you see, God's grace just automatically removes that. That's part of being in the kingdom of God. You're going to sin and grace is just going to wash it away, and you're going to sin again and grace will just automatically wash it away. Don't worry about your sin. You don't have a right to get out of. They may be giving you the wrong advice. It may be that you'll be ridiculed for being so conscientious. You're one of those Bible thumpers that think you have to follow exactly the letter of the law. And they ridicule and they make fun of you for being so conscientious. Or they may tell you you're too strict with your children. When you have rules for your children and you discipline your children, and you tell them things they can't do, some other members of the church may come and tell you, you know what, you're being too strict with your children. We saw that when our children were young. We saw it when our children were babies. We saw those who were being ridiculed, not that we were being ridiculed, but we saw those who had teenagers who were being ridiculed. The ones ridiculing those children turned out to the world. Some of them anyway, most of them good many of them, while those who were being ridiculed turned out faithful. That told me something. Told me a lot. They may tell you you're too strict. They may tell you that you ought to leave your mate. You're having marriage problems? Don't try to fix that. Just leave them. They may tell you dysfunctional families are normal. Everybody's like this. They may tell you that your face should not get in the way of your job. They may tell you your faith should not get in the way of school and faith should not get in the way of your fears. Let your fears drive you instead of your faith. 
They may tell you you don't need to attend all of the time. You want to get out of your rut? You do like Ernest, the earnest cry of Bartimaeus, and you stop worrying about what others have to say. And you ignore them and you do what you know you need to do and you focus on your real need. How do you break out of your rut? Let's go to verse 46. You stop waiting for the ideal circumstance. You stop waiting for the ideal circumstance. Let's go back to the beginning of our story. At verse 46. And the text says, they came to Jericho and as he went out of Jericho with his disciples, a great And the great multitude, blind Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. I want you to notice three things here in verse 46. Bartimaeus was anywhere but in an ideal circumstance. First of all, I want you to notice he was blind. That's not ideal. Because he couldn't see who is coming or where he was. He had to ask, what's what's all the noise about the multitude? What's all the noise I hear? Well, that's Jesus, son of David, coming. They had to ask about that. That's not an ideal circumstance. He was a beggar. Beggars are often ignored and brushed aside in disdain. That's not an ideal circumstance. And he was sitting down. That's not a position to be seen or to gain attention. He was anything but in an ideal circumstance. I want to tell you that you may be planning to get out of your rut. But you're waiting for others to do what they should do. I've never fully understood that. But I've dealt with people who, they're, they're involved in a problem, they're in a rut, and I'm going to do better as soon as they do better. Maybe it's the husband. I'll be a better husband as soon as she's a better wife. And you go to the wife, well, I'll be a better wife just as soon as he's a better husband. I'm waiting on someone else to act. I've talked with brethren that were at odds with one another. I'll repent. I know I did wrong just as soon as he repents. You see, you're waiting for someone else to do what they should. I've often run into people who said, I'll turn to God just as soon as I get my life on the right track. That makes as much sense as going to the doctor as soon as you get to feeling better. As soon as I get my life all turned around, I'm going to turn my life back to God. I'm going to start tending church just as soon as things get better in my life. But you see, things are not good in my life right now. I'm waiting for the ideal circumstance. My family circumstance isn't good. And as soon as things get better in my life, I'm going to turn back to the Lord. I'm going to get my life on the right track. May I suggest to you that many have faithfully served the Lord in situations that were far less than ideal. Paul was in prison. Abraham was in a strange country. Noah only had seven other righteous people with him. You have more than that in this building tonight with you, and some of us have more than that in our families. You want to talk about an ideal circumstance? Daniel was in captivity. If you're waiting for the ideal circumstance, and then I'm going to serve the Lord, as soon as all the stars line up in the right direction, I'm going to get my my spiritual life on track. I want to suggest to you that if you're waiting for that ideal circumstance, that ideal circumstance may never come in your life. You want to get your life right? You want to get out of the rut? What do you need to do? 
Assume responsibility, number one. Number two, believe you can change. Focus on your real need. Stop worrying about what everybody else has to say. Stop waiting on the ideal circumstance. And then finally, you need to act right now. Let's go to verse 50. Go to verse 50 of our context in Mark chapter 10. What happens in verse 50? They called the blind men saying to him, be of good cheer, rise, he is calling you. Now verse 50. And throwing aside his garment, he rose and came to Jesus. Bartimaeus felt like it was now or it was never. He may never have this opportunity again. He needs to act right now. Or he may never act. So notice what he does in verse 50. He threw his garment aside that he might run without interference. He acted in faith. Faith upon what he knew about Jesus. You see, because of his faith, he cried out and he begged. Because of his faith, he responded to the invitation with joyous obedience. And he goes when Jesus calls, and because of his faith, he asks for his sight. In fact, Jesus commended his faith when he indeed was healed. There was no stalling. There was no delay. Notice what he did. Go again to verse 50. Now get the picture. You're the beggar on the side of the road. What would you have done? And you cry out, Jesus, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. You need to be quiet. need to be quiet. Jesus, have mercy on me, he said. And Jesus said, tell him to come. And they said, the master's calling for you. What would you do? Well, maybe if you come back through here again, I'll, I'll, I'll go to him. That would be your answer. Let me think about that just a little bit. No, go back to verse 50. Verse 50, and throwing aside his garment, he rose and he came to Jesus. You want out of your rut, you're going to have to act right now. There was no delaying. There was no stalling. And I want to tell you that if you're going to get out of your rut, you must act now. If you're going to get out of your rut, you may not have another opportunity. James chapter 4 talks about those who would say, tomorrow we're going to go into a city and, and dwell there for a year and we're going to buy and we'll sell and get gain. Here's what we know we're going to do in the future. He said, you don't know what your future is going to be. Your life's a vapor that appears for a little while and then it's gone, vanishes away. You might not have another opportunity. You must act now because the more you delay, the chances are increased. You may never act. If you're sitting here tonight thinking, I've been thinking about being baptized, and I might respond, and you put that off, it may be easier to put that off on Sunday and put that off again next week and then the next week and then the next week. Chances are growing that you may never respond. Now is the time to obey the gospel. Today, if you'll hear his voice, the Hebrew writer would quote from Psalm 95. Now is the time. Now is the time to be restored. If you've been a faithful child of God and you've drifted away from God, now's the time to be restored. Throw off that garment and cast it aside. Run to Jesus as he calls because he may be gone and he may not be back again. Now's the time to fix your family life. If your family's in shambles, your marriage is crumbling and coming apart, now's the time to fix it. Now is the time to correct what's lacking in your life. You feel like you're not studying as you should? Now's the time to start studying. You feel like you're not attending? Now's the time to start attending. 
You feel like you're not praying? Now's the time to start praying. Now's the time to act. Now's the time to repair that relationship that's broken. That brother or sister that you've been at odds with, now's the time to fix that. Now's the time to go to them and see what you can do to rectify and solve the problem. And now's the time to work on growing. You say, I need to grow. I need to be stronger in the Lord. And I need to do something. Now's the time to do that. Start tonight. Start right now. Throw that garment aside and run to Jesus as blind Bartimaeus did. I want to tell you, here was a man that started in a rut. Verse 46, he was blind and he was begging. Begging. Neither of those are desirable circumstances. And here's a man that got out of that rut. How did he do that? He assumed responsibility for himself. He believed he could change. He focused on what his real need was. He didn't worry about what others were saying. He was saying, be quiet, don't say anything to Jesus, don't disturb Jesus. He ignored all of that. He wasn't waiting on the ideal circumstance. And when he saw the opportunity to act, he began to act, and he threw aside his garment, and he acted. And he came to Jesus. He told Jesus what his need was. Would you do that even this night? Would you come tonight, if you're not a Christian, believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? Would you repent of your sins, acknowledge your faith, and be buried in the waters of baptism for the remission of sins? Would you come to Jesus, throw aside that garment, run to Jesus, because he's called you? Would you do that? Maybe there's an erring child of God who needs to make correction. If you're subject in any way, would you come while again we stand and see?